You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, and at this point, I guess, I'm a lead MMA writer for BleacherReport.com. Hey! So that, Gainfully employed so is that, Chad Dundas. So that part is different, and the, the, the voice you hear of the man doing the Mike Goldberg impression, as usual, joining us this week on the podcast from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's Ben Folks. Ben, how are you doing? Very amused with myself, is Ben Folks. <laughs> Uh, hey, well, congratulations, damn it. You got a job. Yeah. You're yeah. no longer uh, a statistic. I'm, I'm not a negative statistic. Yeah. I'd like okay. to believe I'm a positive statistic. Well, I wouldn't go that far. My retirement lasted a little bit longer, I think, than Matt Riddle's retirement. First question, when can we expect you to roll out your first slideshow for Bleacher Report? I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to do a, a slideshow about what I did during my retirement. That comes out on Saturday. No, it's not. I'm actually, uh, I will have my first appearance on the website over on Friday. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to be back writing about MMA on a full-time basis. Uh, I'm excited to get paid a professional wage to do it, frankly. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. And how about that? How, an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. <laughs> last, kind of. Last year, as many people know, Bleacher Report got bought by uh, Turner Broadcasting. So it's it's pretty stable. It's, they've got some money, and during the last couple of years, they've been making a, a, a big push to hire quality people who who do good stuff. They got a solid MMA staff there. I'm excited, man. I couldn't be uh, I couldn't be any happier to land where I have landed. So when are we going to the club and making it rain? Oh, right after we're done here. Nice. Yeah, as soon as the club opens. What time <laughs> does the club open? Uh, I'm I'm gonna say uh, two p.m. Two p.m. That, that can't possibly right. be that right. That sounds right. Ben, the biggest news on this week's Co-Main Event podcast is that uh, we've got some listener-submitted music again. We we ran out for a couple weeks, had to go back to the, the Chad Dundas personal collection deep in the stacks. Uh, so we rolled that out. But this week, our music comes to us from our old friends in Skunks, the hardcore punk band of listener Tommy Sundquist. Oh, I love Skunks. Except for one thing. Oh, what? The band recently found out that there was a Polish white power band that had the same name as them so they had to change their name oh i hate when that happens I, hey i've actually been there brother. hey polish white power bands ruin it for everybody man uh from now on skunks are skunks not the nazi skunks uh will be known as down for life and that's life with a y and you can find their music at downforlife.bandcamp.com they've got a new ep out and that's what we're going to be hearing from today wait i feel like dude if you change your name to down for life you've increased the chances that you will share a name with a white power band don't you that sounds like a white power no, band no i feel that's why they went with the y just to make it a little bit more distinctive okay weirdly enough i was in a band with my brother for a while when we were kids uh, called starkweather and then we found out that there was also a Nazi band called Starkweather. Damn Nazis! So we had to change our name. Anyway. They're a musical hate group. 
the Nazis. <laughs> Say that for them, at least. This week's co-main event podcast, as usual, comes to you in three rounds. And round number one, as Kurt Angle would say, Tito Ortiz is a broken frickin' neck causing Bellator to cancel his fight against Rampage Jackson, shelve its pay-per-view plans, and move this weekend's show to fee. And you know what? That actually seems better. And in round number two, speaking of Bellator being better, maybe the cancellation of Ortiz Jackson means we can talk about Saturday night's real main event. And in round number three, so Machida at middleweight, huh? Huh. Recent anecdotal evidence suggests that that might work. All that plus Master Tweet Theater, are you fucking kidding me? And just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail comes to us this week from Damon J. He writes, are you guys really both so narcissistic that you presume you know more than a doctor about whether or not to stop a fight? These doctors get trained for years to attain the knowledge they do. As for the brain trauma, the fighters know what they're getting into and will eventually see who's right about what. Hopefully, all the fighters will be fine and we can all rest easy. That coming to us from Damon J, I think clearly a response to last week's discussion about the uh, event down in Texas where it seemed that uh, some of the doctors uh, maybe let some of the fights go on a little bit too long. The corners didn't throw in the towel. We talked a little bit about how it seemed like a failure at the uh, at the level of the the last uh, line of defense for the fighters, and so we get this. You know what you should remember about eventually seeing who's right about what is if it turns out that we're right and maybe some of those doctors were wrong, the dudes who are in the cage will have lasting brain damage. That's well, no, but the last the line here is hopefully all the fighters will be fine and we'll oh, rest easy. Okay. Well, yeah. And hopefully Junior Seau will come back to life and all the NFL players sitting around in darkened rooms trying to remember their kids' names will, it'll all, that knowledge will just come flooding back in and puppy dogs will dance with kittens. Yeah. Y- you know, I, I, Damon, I get it. I get Damon, what he's saying because it no, is he, narcissistic of us to sit here from the comfort. Or I don't know if narcissistic is the word, but it's kind of an asshole move of us to sit here from from our couches watching the event on TV and think that we can look at a fighter and necessarily know when the fight should be stopped. But at the same time, I don't know that the doctors can go in there, look in a guy's eyes, you know, ask him how many fingers he sees, and then know whether you know, his brain is safe to continue the fight. I think that the, what makes this such a difficult question is that there's not a clear line. Like, here's where the fight should be stopped. Here's where you've taken too much damage. And here's where we should let you continue taking damage. I, I don't, I feel like these are difficult questions. And I mean, maybe we are guilty of simplifying it too much at times in our criticism. Uh, but this Damon J is also guilty of way simplifying it and saying like, hopefully we'll just all be okay. Like let's all just relax and it'll, it'll pan out. Right. And I'm going to talk to you about the part that I think is the non asshole part about it. And that is that, do we really want to live and work in a fight community where no one second guesses the last line of, of defense for fighter safety? Do we really want to exist in a mixed martial arts industry where everyone is just like, well, the doctor in Texas said this dude was good to go, so I guess he is. Or would you rather have people who care enough about the sport to say, you know what? I think maybe this system's not foolproof. I think maybe some things are wrong here and some things could potentially go wrong here. 
If I was a fighter, I would rather exist in the latter. Yeah, you know what? You would think that, right? Um, and it just so happens that I have spent much of my morning and early afternoon working on uh, a story for tomorrow's USA Today, and I'll have a much longer version on MMA Junkie where I don't have to worry about word count and like damn newspaper people do, uh, about kind of about this this trend where a fight seems like maybe it goes on a little too long. A bunch of us in the media and fans on Twitter complain about it. Happened with the Rosie Sexton, uh, Jessica Andrade fight, uh, in the, the prelims of uh, UFC Fight Night 30 just this past weekend. Um, and that was one where Rosie Sexton took to Twitter to, she was unhappy about people saying that that fight should have been stopped. She felt like maybe the, the commentary might have been a little bit sexist, that maybe people would, would not have wanted to see that fight stopped if she was a man, and that she felt it was the right thing to do to give her that chance. And she said that, you know, if they had stopped it, you know, before the third round got started, she would have had these questions, could I have gone in there in the third round and come back in that fight? And that would have been harder to deal with than dealing with the loss and getting beat up. And she says, you know, I talked to her this morning. She said, I got a couple of black eyes, but other than that, I feel mostly fine. I mean, of course, one thing, you don't know what necessarily what you do to yourself and, and when you're going to have to pay the, the full price for that. So it's not like a fighter can just sit there and say, well, I feel fine two days later, so therefore I must be fine. Um, but also, you know, I, I think that the people who are saying we wanted to see that stopped or we don't want to see stuff like that continue too long, it is coming from a good place for those people. I don't. I mean, maybe there is some of that, some paternalism, some some sexism stuff from some people, but I feel like people said the exact same thing about Giro Dos Santos and Cain Velasquez, and I feel like that, that is a well-intentioned thing, That and I'm glad we have that, that we're trying to... So we have that to moderate those influences because otherwise, man, you, we're going to end up 20 years from now with a bunch of broke down fighters uh, and not necessarily, not necessarily saying that Junior DeSantos or Rosie Sexton will be among them. But, you know, look at what's happened with the NFL. I think that once we see what can happen from repeated head trauma, not just in the fights, but in sparring and training and stuff like that, I think it's important to have people on the outside of the sport uh, at least trying to push us towards the middle a little bit so that we're not getting too extreme and forgetting completely about the the athlete safety in the name of all this you know warrior culture stuff yeah and the, the last thing i will say is that i think nine times out of ten i'm perfectly willing to give a ringside doctor the benefit of, of the doubt but at the same time i don't feel like that benefit of the doubt should be endless because for one thing we have no idea who these people are and you would think that at the highest level you would hope i guess at the highest level that the ringside doctors that are being procured by state athletic commissions like uh, Nevada and New Jersey and places where they do fights all the time would be, you know, people of the highest medical credentials uh, down in Texas. You, you'd hope it's the same story, but we don't know for sure. And the Texas commission is sort of notorious for being uh, lax in its in almost everything that it does. Yes. Uh, and so I think when you have a fight in a place like that, you, you have. Uh, cause for some concern, and especially because, and again, you hope that this is different at the highest level, but I've talked to smaller MMA promoters and boxing promoters in the past, and they've talked to me about what a huge problem it is to try to get a ringside doctor to come to their events. Because especially when you're dealing with smaller time MMA and boxing shows, like it's really hard to find a doctor, a medical doctor, who's going to take his or her Saturday night and come down to this fight show that they probably don't like. Yeah, they got to be a fan, basically. Yeah. And, and like, it's not like you can be like, oh, well, hey, man, we'll give you a hundred bucks because, you know, these people are doctors. 
doctors. They, they're they, medical doctors. They make a hundred bucks for taking fifteen minutes to look at somebody's eyes, you know, and it, on a Wednesday afternoon. So they're not going to take their their Saturday night and come to to some weird MMA show and try to administer things. So what you end up doing is you is you work your way down into these these people who are willing to come, and a lot of times they're not people of the highest uh, regard. You know, I went to a, a small time boxing show once here in Montana where a kid later uh, got put into a coma. Uh, and, and a couple of days afterwards, this is when I was working for the newspaper as a sports reporter and actually had to write a story about it. It turned out that the ringside doctor was a chiropractor, like an actual chiropractor. And Not a medical doctor. That's the only guy they could come be at the event and be the ringside doctor. So a lot of times I'm in a position where I'm like, you know, I don't know who these doctors are. And yes, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but not all the time. If I see one that I don't feel like is is acting appropriately, chances are I'm probably going to say something about it. Well, and I guess that would be my point is this. If we err on the side of caution uh, in that regard a little bit, what's the worst that happens? Some fighters feel like maybe they didn't get the full chance to come back in a fight. Maybe they still had a, a puncher's chance. Maybe they still could have turned things around that last round and they didn't get to, and that bugs them later on. And I'm not minimizing that. I'm sure that that is uh, something that, that fighters would feel would be like a terrible injustice to them. Better to deal with that, though, than you know lasting brain drama. I mean, I think it's just a difficult question for this sport because uh, it's such a situation where we... There's so much we don't know when we don't know about how much you can take. And a lot of that has to do with genetics, it seems, why some people develop these problems and other people don't. Uh, but I do think, I mean, it makes me glad in a way that there are so many fans that give enough of a shit about the fighter's health to make that point. And I think that's where that most that comes from is that people don't, they love these fighters. They love the sport. They don't want to see you, you know, suicidal and depressed in 10 years. Second piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Travis Bickle. He writes, when I first heard that Lusty Gusty's next appointment, uh, next opponent was going to be Little Noggy Nog, I thought, wow, the UFC really wants Gustafson Jones rematch, and they're not going to even pretend otherwise. But then I got worried, because isn't this the exact sort of matchup that mocks the MMA gods? Kind of is, when you think it about it. It is a little bit. I mean, uh, if, you, if you really, really wanted to... Uh, to solidify that Jones Gustafson rematch, you would probably do it next, right? Before either of these guys had to have another fight, but because they want to move forward with this Jones to Shira match, uh, I guess you got to find Lusty Gusty an another fight because in this sport, it's the cardinal sin to let a guy sit around and wait for his rematch. Yeah. Uh, so and Roger Nog is not, uh, not the worst guy you could have there. You know, it's not a fight where it seems like they're, clearly thinking he's just going to run through him. I mean, I think the UFC is probably expecting that that Lusty Gusty wins that one. Uh, and I guess the question is, say he doesn't, are you prepared to work with uh, Roger Nog as your potential top light heavyweight contender? Yeah, well, I assume they're playing it by ear. If 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 Lusty Gusty <laughs> comes out and, and loses that fight, I don't think you I don't think you pull vault Roger Nog into your into your title fight. But then that's something you, guys, we, you still got Daniel Cormier hanging around that's out there. True. But that, that is something that we have criticized the UFC at times for. That how can it be a fight where if one guy wins, he gets this, and if the other guy wins, uh, we'll see. You true, know? and that and this seems like one of those fights. It does, right? It does. Uh, I mean, just the, the just having Daniel Cormier hanging around and being such an interesting style matchup, and this kind of heating up rivalry between them. You got to think that you know who knows. Maybe even if if Lusty Gusty goes out there and wins this fight, Cormier could still be next. You know, I, and honestly, it's a pretty good problem for the UFC to have right now is to have 
more than one potential title challengers for John Jones, a guy who looked like pretty recently that he was just head and shoulders of everybody else in the division. Yeah, not going to complain about it if the light heavyweight division seems to be suddenly a little bit deeper than it was maybe six months ago. But say Lusty Gusty goes out there and slips on a banana peel, we'll know it was or at least we'll, we'll all be able to be very quiet so we can hear the laughter of the MMA gods at top Mountain Zions. Yeah, indeed. Uh, the last piece of listener mail this week comes to us from David Golden. He writes, John Lineker missed weight for his fight at UFC Fight Night 30. This is the second time in a row and the third time in his last five fights with the UFC. Obviously, Lineker either needs, to, needs help cutting weight or he needs to move up a weight class. What I'm wondering is how do MMA organizations or athletic commissions go about curbing a behavior that seems to be a show of a lack of respect for the opponent and the organization? I was thinking that it might be effective to have a system in place where the fine for missing weight has an escalating clause if you miss weight in consecutive bouts or more than twice a year. With fighter pay being such an issue already, it seems that the threat of losing even more money might prove to be incentive enough. Thoughts? That's actually not a bad idea. I wouldn't limit it, though, either to just consecutive bouts. Maybe it should just be a thing where first time you miss weight in your career with the UFC, it's, you know, 20% of your purse or something. The the next time, it's 30%, and then 40%, you know, so that I think that would uh, make it so some of these guys who are habitual offenders would start to seriously consider just going up a weight class if they can't make that weight. And honestly, this guy... Lineker has missed weight in the UFC more than he's made it. That's you can't do that. Yeah. Second prize is a set of steak knives. <laughs> yes. Third prize is you're fired. Uh, well, that's the the weird thing is that I I think you're right, and I agree with you, and I agree with David Golden that that seems like an okay idea. The truth is, though, there is sort of an unofficial penalty out there, and that is that the UFC will straight fire your ass, which they have done in the past with guys who have problems making weight. Uh, it definitely makes the rope shorter. Like, it does. If, if you go out there and give them, or if you miss weight a couple times and then give them a reason, they will fire you. Yeah, but I mean, he they they like him for one thing because they you know you, you need some people at flyweight and he's a guy who can finish fights at flyweight so he misses weight then goes out there and knocks somebody out then shows up the next fight misses weight goes out there and knocks somebody out you know at a certain point it's even there's just a thing of fairness to your opponent and respect for your opponent that uh, yeah sure the guy gets a little bit of money uh for you not making weight but you can't just keep doing that, especially if you want to be taken seriously as a potential title contender. Man, you got to hit 125 on the dot to do that. And this guy's showing up at 128 or 129. Uh, you're not even really that close there. Yeah. Uh, and at this point, he, uh, he's won, what, four fights in a row in, in, the, uh, in the UFC. So you're right. He's a, he's a guy who's, who's been in the top 10 at flyweight. And, and right now that division is probably shallow, so shallow that those guys are going to get a little bit of the extra benefit of the doubt just because of who they are. And, and like we talked about, uh, last week, you don't want to see it just be a, uh, uh, you know, Joseph Benavidez, John Dodson, uh, carousel down there at 125 for, uh, I'd watch that. I, I, w- I would too, but like they need all of the, uh, title contenders that they can get. Uh, and, but, but, but you're right. Yeah. Like it doesn't certainly doesn't help your, uh, your case as a title contender to come in and miss weight over and over again. And, uh, you know, I, 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 let's be honest. I feel like when a guy comes in and badly misses weight and then goes out there and, and wins, we all look at the result and we're like, ah, yeah. You know, yeah, you can't feel that great about it. Also, did you see him at the weigh-ins? He showed up 
got immediately, you know, got the towel out, took off his underwear, got got buck naked up there on the scale, and was at 128. It was like, man, how much did you think the underwear weighed? Like, you had to kind of know where you were before that, right? Like, you get up there, you thought your underwear, you thought you were wearing some two-pound underwear. Come on, man. (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern for the podcast in the future, you know how to get a hold of us. You can go to comainevent.com. There's a link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. If you click it, it will let you email the podcast. How about that? It's weird. As for right I guess sometimes when the website's <laughs> operational. Uh, as for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, we found out late last week that Tito Ortiz has pulled perhaps the most Tito Ortiz move in history, suffering a fractured neck that caused Bellator to cancel his fight against Quentin Rampage Jackson just a week out from its first ever pay-per-view event. To its credit, though, Bellator didn't just up and cancel the event and then suddenly fold like it was affliction or something, but instead moved the remaining card to Spike TV. Now, it didn't take long for most people to make the logical jump that this was actually a good thing for Bellator. My question for you is, where do you where do you come down here? Did Bellator pull off kind of a sneaky win? It is a sneaky win. It's such a sneaky win that it almost uh, brings out the conspiracy theorist in me, because... This I could, kind of feels like the best case scenario. Like you still, you got all the hype, you got people talking about it, but now you don't have to do the, the pay-per-view, which let's be honest, was not going to do well. We could all tell that. You also don't have to pay the big salaries of Tito Ortiz and Rampage Jackson, who let's also be honest, probably weren't going to do well. Uh, now you have the focus where it should be on the real main event between Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez. It's free on Spike, so more people are going to watch it. This is like the first Bellator card I can remember in a long time that feels like you got to stay home and watch this one. And I, I don't see, like, how, how do you lose there other than it just kind of makes you look kind of shabby. Right. Yeah, no, we, we talked about this at your birthday party when we were all, ball, we were all bowling, throwing rocks. Balling it up. Uh, that this actually, the thing that this does really is provides like a weird publicity blast for this for this show because I feel like, you know, you, you everyone was kind of down on the Quinton Jackson, Tito Ortiz main event, which I think was pretty justified. And uh, the, the fact that Tito had to pull out with this with this broken frickin' neck. So Tito. Uh, so Tito. Of that's him. the most Tito thing ever, man. Fractured neck. Uh, it, it just kind of provided this weird like final blast of publicity for the event that I feel like, uh, people who probably were not going to get the pay-per-view now see this like th- th- this uh, uh, media storm over Tito Ortiz being out and then now the cards on Spike TV. I bet a lot of them are going to be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to watch that. Yeah. Uh, which I think probably turns out to be positive for Bellator. Although, you know, you mentioned this right at the end of what you were talking about. I do think when you look at it big picture, this is kind of a mixed bag for them. Uh, 2013 has been... Uh, a weird year for Bellator. It's been a year where they've made a lot of uh, public relations gaffes and really, really strange personnel decisions, kind of going back on their edict that they weren't going to start warehousing UFC cast-offs. 
Uh, and, you know, signing Jackson against Ortiz was by far the weirdest of all of yeah, those. Yeah, it was. Uh, so I don't think it hurts Bellator if that fight never comes to pass. But this is obviously kind of embarrassing to have this happen because when it happens last minute like this, it makes Bellator look foolish for even booking the fight because it's it's the ultimate I told you so moment because it's the thing that we expect to happen to Tito Ortiz when he's fighting for a small organization for him to get hurt. And now they have to, like, make this last minute move to take the, the fight off pay-per-view and put the card on on free TV. Well, yeah, and especially because, like you alluded to there. Well, who could have foreseen that T. Ortiz would get injured and have to pull out? Well, how about everybody? You know, and for Bellator and for Bjorn Rebney to act, you know, kind of shocked. Like, oh, man, can you believe something like this happened? Yes. Yes, we can all believe it. We have no problem believing that that happened. But, you know, I'm not going to complain that I don't have to watch that fight or pay you know, 45 bucks for it. Right. Come on, man. Well, here's my question about it though. So, and like conventional wisdom holds to this. And obviously this is what Bellator did. Uh, you lose this main event between Jackson and Ortiz. And so you feel like you have to take the card off pay-per-view and, and put it on free TV. My question, it was before they got injured and it remains, who are these people who were going to buy the Bellator pay-per-view with Tito Ortiz versus Quentin Rampage Jackson on it and now are not going to buy the pay-per-view because that fight no longer exists. I can tell you who they're not. They're not fight fans yeah. because we've 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 seen what these guys have had to offer in their last few appearances and I guess you know conventional wisdom dictates that they're they're these casual fans that we're always talking about but when I think about this particular fight I think goddamn you have to be Pretty fucking casual <laughs> to have missed the last five or six years of this sport yeah. during which time we're talking Tito Ortiz and Rampage Jackson were both sort of running aground. Your tank top and flip flops kind of casual. Right, exactly. And then you start to think, well, maybe they were expecting these professional wrestling fans to buy the pay-per-view because they sent Jackson and Ortiz over there to do these spots on Impact Wrestling, which, you know, at face value is a move that I understand because that's Spike's highest rated TV show. So if you want to, uh, I guess, reach the largest audience you can, you send them over there. Or you get to a walk-on spot on Mansers, right? <laughs> which... Maybe that was in the cards, and now they had to, they're scrambling to film a new Mansers now that Tito's out. What'll it take to break this guy's neck up next on Mansers? <laughs> here's, here's my question, though. Like, if you actually saw any of Tito Ortiz and Rampage Jackson on Impact, they were terrible. They were awful. And I feel like that's one of the things that we don't often talk about when we talk about the subject of these weird professional wrestling MMA crossover promotion deals is if the MMA guys go over there and stink the joint up, does that impress the professional wrestling fans? Are the professional wrestling fans at that point be like, oh, man, these guys are terrible at this. I'm going to buy the pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, you're right. I mean, it is one of those things where, you know, seeing MMA fighters go over and do uh, professional wrestling spots. It's like when you see, like, uh, you know, an NBA player try to be a rapper and it just reminds you, like, oh, yeah, that stuff is harder than it looks. There's a reason that some people are professionals at that and not everybody can just walk in and do it because they're a fan of it. You know, but... You you were kind of going this way, and I think I, I'd like to come back to this idea that, hey, when you take these two, Tito Ortiz and Rampage Jackson, off the pay-per-view, and then that's the thing that makes you decide, okay, well, this is we can no longer charge money for this. This is not a pay-per-view quality card anymore, so we'll switch it to free TV. So what you're telling me is that you didn't think Michael Chandler, Eddie Alvarez is worth paying for. 
Uh, you didn't think, you know, Pat Curran and Mo Lawal, those other guys, the, the Joe Riggs, the fight master finale thing they got. You didn't think that stuff was worth paying for. But you did think Tito Ortiz and Rampage Jackson was. Now, either, and maybe it's all of this, but it seems like either you're telling us that you don't really know what's valuable in MMA or you don't think that your fans know. You think that your fans are the kind of people who they follow MMA enough that they've heard of Tito Ortiz and Rampage Jackson, but not so much that they actually know that their time has passed. Um, and not so, and they don't follow the sport so much that they know that Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez is a fight worth paying for. Like, what kind of message do you send to your other fighters, like you know Chandler and Alvarez, and to your fans if you're telling them that you think like the removal of that fight is the thing that makes it go from pay per view to uh, it's free TV? Because man, that that does not seem like the thing that should should knock you off pay per view at least in theory. Right, and I get. I mean, I don't know, man. Like. I guess it, there may, there are probably a lot of hardcore Tito Ortiz fans and a lot of hardcore Rampage Jackson fans out there who are just going to ride or die with the Huntington Beach bad boy. And they're just <laughs> going to order no matter what he's on. But and, you know, I guess that's that's sort of understandable. But also, we know a guy like that. Our friend Tyler, who was a big MMA fan back in the day, who was, uh, it, sh- it should be mentioned, used to play flag football in his Tito Ortiz flame shorts. That's right. Uh and was a ride or die with the Huntington Beach bad boy kind of guy, I can guarantee you there's no way he was going to order this pay-per-view. I can just guarantee you that. Wait, with them on it or without it? Either way. <laughs> okay. And, and, and so I, I guess, I mean, I know. But you'll watch it now, right? It's on Spike TV. I, I, I mean, I know that the people who know a lot more about this than I do were going to have the pay-per-view with those guys, and now they're not going to have it without them. And that's the right decision, I think. But I also wonder, like, who are these people? Who are these people? Well, it's the right decision in the sense that it was the wrong decision first when you were going to have the pay-per-view with them. Uh, and it's like doing arriving at the right answer, but when you have to show your work on the, the worksheet, we realize you didn't really know what you were doing. That's what it feels like to me. snuck your graphing calculator in. Or like you just, you know, through luck, you, you did the wrong process and came up with the right answer. Okay, well, Tito Ortiz was already retired. His neck was already what Stone Cold Steve Austin would call a pile of trash. Uh, (laughs) Will he come back from this, or is he done? I really hope he doesn't come back, but I think he will. I mean, if we're talking about what he should have done, uh, he he should not have have done this in the first place. But I hope that he that he stops. I mean, I think that the at this point, the risk to his health is not worth it. Uh, I don't think that there are a whole lot of great fights left in him. If he's coming back, I think it would be purely because he feels like he needs the money, um, which, you know, hey, if you need the money, then you need the money. I, no one can, can tell you you don't, I guess. Um, I hope that he doesn't come back, and I certainly hope Bellator doesn't try and just reboot this thing and get us to, to buy this fight all over again. Yeah. Please, God, don't do that. Well, but we've also, yeah, you just mentioned we've, got, we've still got Rampage hanging around out there. He's not hurt. He's ready to fight. I feel like not if, hurt probably because he didn't train if King. Wow. Okay. Uh, if King Mo emerges from this, this weekend with a win in which, which I guess is an interim title match. Sure. Uh, I, I like it better. You make rampage versus King Mo, because that to me is actually a fight that has some utility for Bellator. Yeah. I also think rampage against Attila Vey has some, some utility for Bellator. Uh, just because it's something where if your guy wins, which I think that there's some evidence to suggest your guy would win. 
and I, by your guy, I mean not Rampage. Uh, <laughs> okay. Then, then you can promote him from that, and, and, and you can get a rub off that in the parlance of, of the carnival talk. And you know they can sell it. Yeah. The two of them. And then if Rampage does win, it's not a complete disaster for you because then you've sort of rehabilitated Rampage in a way. I guess, though, let's just let's let's wrap up on this short answer. Should can Bellator try to do pay-per-view again in the future? Well, I would say bad idea, but that they're probably going to do it. Uh, probably because they don't like the idea of just being chased off pay-per-view by circumstances. They probably want to tell themselves, hey, this could have worked. This could have been successful if only Tito Ortiz's neck was not, as you say, a pile of trash. That's what Steve Austin used to call his own neck. He used <laughs> okay. to say he had a pile of trash that was his neck. Anyway. <laughs> but, I, but I feel like they they have this spot, this kind of sore spot now. They're going to feel the need to go back and try and put together a pay-per-view to prove that they can do it. Uh, although I would really like it if they just took this as a sign from the MMA gods that it's not in the cards for them. They're not going to be a pay-per-view kind of fight promotion and that that can work. That can be okay. Yeah, I think it would be kind of refreshing if they didn't do pay-per-view, although who knows, man. Maybe they can turn guys like Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez into pay-per-view draws, and we'll talk about that in round number two. First, though, Sir Nigel Longstock is here. He's going to come in and lead us in a rendition of Master Tweet Theater, and that starts right now. It's that time again, loyal listeners, where we welcome back to the show friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you today? I'm well, sir. Thank you. You don't look that well, i got to be honest with you. No, I'm putting forth a good front. I actually have sort of a cold, and it is winter now. Well, I, I was going to say that, uh, you know, you look like you've been up all night drinking again. Well, uh, yes, of course, but it is winter, but it still remains a day. <laughs> True, true. Well, for those of you who don't know how this works, uh, Sir Nigel is going to read us off some tweets from some people in the MMA sphere, hopefully not the Iron Sheik, uh, and Chad and I are going to try and guess the tweeters in question. You ready, Chad? I was born ready. No, that's not true at all. Sir Nigel, are you ready? Oh, yes. I became ready later in life. Okay. That I believe. Now hit us with the first one whenever you're ready. <clears throat> yes, let us begin. <clears throat> Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. I assume we have not yet begun. Mm, tweet the first. <sighs> it's one thing to let your girl do porn. It's another thing to let every rich POS that thinks money buys anything fuck your girl. Not on my watch. Well, I feel like Sir Nigel just said it, so I'm going to go ahead and spike it and say that's War Machine 170. Yeah, that's him, all right. And uh, I got to believe this tweet was included this week, not for the competitive uh, advantage that it would give either of the of us, but rather more for uh, humorous reasons, I would say. <laughs> well, okay, but here's the thing I've got to ask. Is it really that different to have a girlfriend who's a porn star as a, like, and, and has sex for money on film? Is that really so different from having a, a, a girl who is a private escort who has sex for money without thousands of people watching? It is different in at least one way I can think of, and that is if your girlfriend is a private escort, assumedly fewer people would watch her have sex. Okay, what if your girlfriend was a private escort and then you filmed it so that a bunch of dudes could jerk off to it? Does it then become okay? Well, then you are a porn producer. So oh. 
So yes. <laughs> so dream fulfilled, mm-hmm. in other words. Yes, presumably, if you're doing it for the money, it's okay. And if she's doing it for the money, it's okay. But only if the money comes from society, not from, like, a guy at the Holiday Inn. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for clearing that up, Sir Nigel. Yes, and that and this brings us uh, to our theme. Oh, the yes. Week, which is philosophical systems. Oh. Philosophical systems. Now, see, here I feel like we might actually have a theme that he's going to stick to, Jed. I'm going to say the jury's out till we hear the next tweet. Okay. I was going to say, you think so, but then here comes tweet number two. Ahem. <clears throat> My farts are driving my wife crazy. <laughs> it smells fucking bad. <laughs> well, that one was a triumph of performance on your part, Sir Nigel. Thank you. Uh, I guess I'm going to go ahead and, and say the poet, Chad. Oh, that's a good guess. I hadn't even thought about that, but that does sound Baroni-ish. Uh, I'm going to say Matt Mitrione because it's been a while since we... Uh, invoked his name on yeah. Mass Street Theater. And because Sean McCorkle's been banned, right? Perhaps both of them have banned, been banned. I can't claim <laughs> to remember, although uh, fart tweet, maybe like 45% chance it's Matt Mitrione. That's good logic. Sir Nigel? Both fine guesses, both accomplished fartists, if you will, but it's in fact Kendall Grove. Oh, Kendall wow. the spider, the barking spider Grove. Really mixing it up on us. Okay. That's Kendall his Grove. first appearance on Master Tweet Theater. I believe it is. I believe I'm it is. Mistaken. Yes, and the philosophical system he represents, hedonism. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for that. Quote, The greater the obstacle, the more glory in overcoming it. End quote. Moliere, playwright. Okay. So somebody who's tweeting out a Moliere quote, not usually one of the most favorite quotable people on Twitter. I mean, it's not like a, a Nietzsche quote or something like that. Um, but also, probably had to look up who Moliere was. He's playwright. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I'm going to say Miguel Torres. Mm. Now, see, when we go inspirational quote, usually I go Ariani, Celeste, Ben Simone, Alyssa Milano, Ortiz. But uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with curveball here and say this one's the poet, Philip Baroni. Another guy who likes to tweet occasional uh, motivational sayings. Man, I guess you you might be right, but then I have to ask myself, where would Phil Brony run across a Moliere quote? Like, scrawled on the wall of the bathroom of the Spearmint Rhino? Oh, he's got the Google. He's got Google at his house. Okay, all right. Both fine guesses, both collectors of inspiration, both, as usual, wrong. It is Rich Franklin. Rich Ace Franklin, fighter. (laughs) Is Do you think Ace is going through some times or something there? I don't know. I feel like we got a a couple of... uh couple of uh, curveballs here so far from, from Sir Nigel with uh, Kendall Grove and Rich Franklin. Like, like we had to go deep. Like we're doing deep cuts. This yeah, week. we are we're doing deep in the stacks. We are doing deep cuts. Last week was easy. This week, not so much. But the greater glory in overcoming it. Tweet the fourth. Was du erlebst, kann kein Mark der Welt haben. What you have experienced, no power on earth can take from you. Wait, so somebody tweeted out first a thing in German. Yeah. I assume that's what that was. Yes, that's why I was yelling. Uh, and then the translation of it in English? What you have experienced, no power on earth can take from you! Exclamation point, which I think he added, actually. Dennis Seaver. Screw it. Is that a Nietzsche quote? Or is that... <laughs> where are we at with this? I, 
unattributed, I'm afraid. Unattributed. Was du erlebst, kann kein Macht der Welt dich rauben. Uh, I'm going to guess that that is Nietzsche and that this tweet comes from noted nihilist uh, Pat Berry. You know, now I'm rethinking it because when he when Sir Nigel read it the second time, did you notice it was Voss Du, the the oh. the familiar yeah. you? No, no, I didn't not, notice not, that. Not no one noticed that, no. Well, now I don't think it was Dennis Seaver, but I'm, I'm locked in, Sir Nigel. Both fine guesses, one alarmingly grounded in knowledge of the German language, both wrong. It's Randy Couture, uh, or whoever controls his Twitter account at this time. A man who speaks a little German, I believe. Wasn't he, didn't he live in Germany? Was he stationed over there with the military or something? That sounds right. Scheiße. Good. Good one, Chad. Was du erlebst? Gatsi danke, das ist Freitages. Tweet the fifth. Cleared to train. What's next? <laughs> oh. Wow, that one, I, I really wish people could have seen the expression on your face. Yes, well, acting is 90% in the face. Yeah, <laughs> just stricken with existential dread. All right, who recently got cleared to train and now doesn't know what to do with their lives? Uh, I'm going to go Stefan Struve. Hmm, okay, that's not bad. I'm going to go Conor McGregor. Both fine guesses, both recently cleared to train, and both wrong. What? This ah. is the poet Philip Baroni, obviously. Oh, the existential dread should have given it away. What's next? What well, is next? Besides farting. <laughs> I assume Spearmint Rhino is next. Yes. <clears throat> that was the last one. That was five already? Wow. That was number Time five. flies when you're getting spanked at uh, Master Toy Theater, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean... I do feel like this one stuck to the theme, though, so congratulations to Sir Nigel for that. Uh, what do you got going on, Sir Nigel? Well, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just begun filming on a, on a feature that will describe the lives of America's two greatest entertainers, Sammy Davis Jr. and Tito Ortiz. It's called Yes, I Can't... Oh, my neck! <laughs> I see. I see what you did. And what role do you play? Well, I play the Candyman, of course, sir. <laughs> well... That was Master Tree Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. Enough of the bad news for Bellator. Let's talk about what they still got going on on this suddenly, unusually stacked Spike TV card. You got Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez, the, the prodigal son, returned for this uh, lightweight title fight rematch. Uh, appropriately now, the main event, I would say. Uh, you got Pat Curran and Daniel Strauss, Mo Lawal, Emmanuel Newton. You got uh, the MMA's wandering warrior Joe Riggs. Uh, the, in the Fightmaster finale here. I mean, you you got a solid card all the way around. Any chance that this is the one where accidentally we show up and realize, man, Bellator has some stuff going on? Well, that would be awesome if we did, because I think that it's true. You know, we, we all like 
kind of like to sit around and mock Bellator when they make these terrible PR decisions. And, and, <laughs> yeah, we do. And when they and when they do stuff like sign this Quentin Jackson Tito Ortiz fight that eventually ends the way we all knew it would with, with one guy getting hurt before they even make it to the cage. But the truth is, they do have have some good stuff going on in Bellator. And one of the crazy things about them signing all these UFC washouts and 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 uh, you know, trying to make Jackson Ortiz the main event in this fight is that they do have some star power over there, man. I believe Michael Chandler can be a star. I think Eddie Alvarez can be a star. I think Muhammad Lawal has the potential to be a star. I think Pat Kern can be a star. But so far this year, I think the real failing of Bellator is that they haven't. It hasn't felt like they've tried to position those guys as stars. You know, and the, I think that the ultimate indignity was that having them play second fiddle to this weird. Jackson Ortiz main event when you have multiple title fights on this card. That's yeah. the weird thing. Like, you know, I don't even know if in the, the Zufa era in the UFC, have they ever had a main event that wasn't a title fight when there were title fights lower down on the card? Usually it's just like whatever the heaviest weight title fight is on your card. That's the main event. But here Bellador does this thing. They put this weird, which we found out was a three round, uh, non-title fight as the main event on a, on a pay-per-view where they have three title fights. Yeah. You know, this reminds me once of, uh, the IFL did this and I don't think there were any title fights on this card because it might've been before the IFL instituted individual titles. Uh, but I recall in the one where, uh, Marco Huas and Maurice Smith fought each other. You know, who were both coaches for the IFL, a couple of old dudes, uh, and they fought each other in basically the main event after the team competition had taken place on that card. Uh, and, you know, I can't say it was a spectacular fight. It seemed like Maury Smith had a really smart strategy, which was to basically wait until uh, old ass Marco Huas tired himself out and then knock him out, which is exactly what he did. Uh, of course, by that point, most of the fans had left. Uh, and I didn't realize it until later, until I started talking to some of the fighters who fought on that card, how much they resented it. That they felt like, you know, here they were, the, the IFL's guys. Uh, they should have been the focus. And yet, then you, you know, you give the coaches each way more money than you give any of the individual fighters. And then throw them on as if they're supposed to be the main attraction for this one-off fight. And maybe you don't realize sometimes uh, how much stock fighters will put in kind of respect things like that. And I, I talked to Eddie Alvarez last week before, I think they, I think I talked to him the day of the Tito Ortiz pullout, but before it happened. So we didn't talk about that, but I asked him how he felt about, you know, being uh, below that on the card and having that be the main event when really his fight with Michael Chandler seemed like it should be. And he was saying, you know, for the most part, he doesn't care where he fights, if he fights first or last or whatever, you know, it's just an order on the fight card, but that he recognizes that where they put you says something about what they think of you and that it is a respect thing. Uh, so, I mean, we, we can't, let's not act like the fighters don't see what's going on within the organization and are, and are making some decisions about how they feel about the organization based on that. Yeah. And it not only says, you know, tells you what the organization thinks of you, but it conditions the the television audience to think that way about you as well. That's, that's kind of why we we have a main event. That's kind of, you know, yeah. why it exists. It's like you condition the people who buy your pay-per-view to think that whoever goes on last and is the official main event of the pay-per-view is the biggest thing that you have going on. And I guess I understand Bellator's uh, theory by trying to to put Jackson Ortiz as the main event, which 
I guess you have to assume they figured, hey, we'll try to draw as many eyeballs as we can with this Jackson Ortiz main event, and maybe those people will will see Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez and Pat Curran and be like, oh, hey, these guys are actually pretty good fighters. But to me, putting those guys as the main event, uh, it undermines the the public perception of those other guys who deserve to be the main event. And frankly, if I was Michael Chandler, I would feel totally slighted by the way that that Bellator is treating me around this this pay-per-view event. And the they fa- made him one of the highest paid lightweights in MMA, Chad. You well, hear that? And he's on the Dave and Buster's commercials. <laughs> and well, that's the Styling thing. and profile. That's the thing. The thing about Michael Chandler is he gets it, man. He's he's not only maybe the best fighter in the world outside of the UFC, but also like he understands promotion. Like he he is a, is a he's good at interviews. He understands you know how to be in a Dave and Buster's commercial for God's sakes. He he's a dude that you look at and you think. This guy kind of has the total package, especially if he beats Eddie Alvarez again. And if I'm Bellator, I would make everything about Michael Chandler and Pat Curran and the dudes that I have who are good, and I just haven't taken the time to to introduce them to everyone. And that that's not totally Bellator's fault, obviously, because you know less than a million people watch their show every week. But at the same time, you got to tell us all that these guys are stars, and if you do that. Some of us will believe you. Well, and uh, here's the problem, though, that you face by having all of your stars, of which you don't have that many, if you're Bellator, and putting them all on this big stacked, now Spike TV event, is what do you do next week? You know, what do you do for the next two months when all these guys who are fighting uh, on this fight card are then recovering? Who else do you have? How do you, if you build up some momentum, you get some people to say, hey, man, Bellator's got some stuff going on. When's the next one? When can I see it? How do you then make sure you don't just turn around and lose that once this is over? Well, I mean, they clearly they have a card for the next week, right? They do they do a card every week on the, on the Spike TV. Like it's not like it's not like they don't know what they're going to do next week. They they got guys who are ready to go, uh, and I think that you. Oh hope- yeah, they got that Carl Carl Parisians on that one next week. I bet you're pretty pumped for that, huh? Wow, is that is that real? Yeah, are you being serious? Right I am. Now? Uh, the next one is uh, Windstar World Casino in Thackerville, Oklahoma. <laughs> Joe Warren is on it. That screams. Uh, and uh, UFC washout uh, Terry Etim. Well, see, there you go. You got you got a, a fight. <laughs> there you go. Gonna, what? <laughs> I mean, I, I think that you hope that enough people stick around from from this week's fight to next week's. Obviously, there's going to be some drop off, but I wouldn't be surprised if they get a little bit of rollover, especially if this is a good show. And then you hope that that Joe Warren and Carl Parisian have a great show. Man, you just hope Carl Parisian shows up. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. It, it ain't going to happen overnight for Bellator, obviously, but I mean. I don't, you know, and sustaining momentum is probably going to be an issue for them. But at the same time, I think that if you have one really awesome stacked show on Spike TV, you're going to have an easier time getting people to come back the next time. Yeah. And, you know, at this point, if you're Bellator, I guess the why not? It's like, why keep your pitchers in the bullpen in case you need them later? Uh, If, you know, if you don't put your best stuff out there, who knows if there will be a later? You know, as long as you got these guys... You might as well put them out there and do the best you can with it and, you know, hope to catch some fire because otherwise, what are you saving it for? Right. And then, you know, sometimes I wonder about that, too. Like, how much of these weird decisions that Bellator has made this year are Viacom or some somebody, some stuffed shirt? 
You know what I'm saying? One of the suits from upstairs. <laughs> we always used to hear about Showtime and Strike Force and, and uh, the guys that Dana White always likes to call idiots, and we never really were sure who was calling the shots in Strike Force. I wonder if there, you know, if there's behind the scenes something going on with Viacom where they where they feel like they need to turn this thing into a, a bigger moneymaker right away, and that's why they feel like they need to go out and, and ink guys like. Tito Ortiz and Quentin Jackson. Man, you know what the suits have in common with Polish white power bands? What's that? They just ruin it for everybody. That's true. They do ruin it for everybody. All right, well, let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number three. Ben, I know you've been talking about it all week. What is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me? for episode 75 of the Co-Main Event Podcast? Well, Chad, I know that you saw this on the weigh-ins for UFC Fight Night 30. Uh, the main event weigh-in with uh, Leota Machida and Mark Munoz. I know you saw a couple of dudes up there in their pajamas in their corners, right? You I got... assumed that was because of the time change. Like, <laughs> these guys just woke up. They had to go to the weigh-in. Uh, you got Henner and Hiram Gracie, one in, in Machida's corner and one in Munoz's corner, out there in the geese with their black belts on and running shoes. Not a good look for anybody, by the way. The gi with, like, the athletic shoes on. Just, it looks weird. But you see these dudes trying to get up in the stare-down? Come on, man. You don't belong in the stare-down. Even if you're going to be in each other's corners and you're going to say that you're their coach and whatever. The stare-down is, I don't want to get all John Jones on you, but it's their special moment, man. Get out of there, special moment. You don't belong in the damn stare down, you, you relentless self-promoters. Are you fucking kidding me with that? Are you fucking kidding me? Nobody trying to see you in your gi. That's the, and that's the, the point also where you kind of got to give Dana White some credit because this ain't his first rodeo. No. He's, they, done, they, this, he's done this 250 times before. Yeah. He's, uh, he just looked at those guys and was like, no. Nope. It's their special moment, B. <laughs> anyway, Ben, this week, my are you fucking kidding me? Probably not a surprise to anyone, and I think it's probably a joint. Are you fucking kidding me from the both of us? I can't imagine you would disagree. We heard the ugly reports that uh, Jason Mayhem Miller and Uriah Hall had gotten into a scuffle out in public on the street somewhere and that uh, that Jason Miller had, had thrown around a racial slur uh, leading to Uriah Hall taking a cut at him. And uh, then early this week, we saw the video and oh, yeah, holy shit. It was even uglier than I thought it was going to be yeah. because Jason Miller goes full racist and drops the N word, I think, three times. Yeah. Right in a row, two or three times, uh, prompting it to be a real feel good moment, actually, when Uriah <laughs> Hall takes a punch at him, takes a swing at him. Uh, and, you know, for Jason Miller, it's just a one more weird occurrence in what seems like a, a, a stranger and stranger existence uh, from a guy that at one time I think I thought was was pretty likable yeah. and a smart guy and a guy who was who was, you know, at least behind the scenes, a little bit more introspective than you would expect. Uh, and now it just seems like he's off the deep end. Yeah. Spiraled so, out of control. from. The so I guess this week. Though we don't, you know, nobody's happy about it. You got to say, are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Jason Mayhem Miller. Ugh. Anyway, that's going to do it for uh, round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, I whiffed on this one a little bit. 
I didn't know if Mark Munoz was going to beat Lyoto Machida at Ultimate Fight Night 30 last weekend, but I kind of thought that he was at least going to prove to be an interesting style matchup. Uh, that turned out to be the exact opposite of the truth, as Machida knocked him out with a high kick just three minutes and ten seconds into the first round. You know, we have not had the occasion to say many nice things about the Dragon during the lifespan of this show, uh, but at this point, you kind of got to feel as bullish about Lyoto Machida as we have in a long time, right? I guess so. This does seem like for a fight that ended with a, a first-round knockout, first-round TKO finish, and one coming you know, more than halfway into the round, surprisingly little happened yeah. in the fight. Yeah. Like, I, I don't usually say this about a first-round knockout. Boring. Well, right up until fight. the knockdown. Well, yes. right, right up until right up until the very moment of the knockdown, I would, and then it was over. I would say right up until the moments just before the knockdown when Lyoto Machida kicked uh, Mark Munoz in the side twice. That, that was probably the, your only outburst of anything in the fight, and then and then the the high kick knockout. The uh, the fight metric stats on this, which I think are telling. Okay. Uh, total strikes. You know, nobody attempted any takedowns or submissions or anything like that. Uh, Lyoto Machida. Through or, or landed five out of ten attempted strikes. Mark Munoz, 0 for 3. 13 total strikes thrown in the fight. Five landed all by one dude. One of them was the kick, partially blocked, that did Mark Munoz in. Yeah, admittedly the fight was not terribly long, but I think you're right that the uh, that the work rate wasn't terribly high. And for the first three minutes there, it did look a lot like a Leota Machida fight of old. Yes. And uh, I think one of the reasons that we've been critical for, of him in his last, you know, several light heavyweight appearances is that the, the, the problem with him wa appeared to be, uh, what, what's the word systemic, maybe like uh, it had to do with, with just his fighting style, which I think is a, probably a very hard thing to change in that he, you know, he never really sh seemed to show much urgency and would just sort of, uh, uh, coast to these to these uh, pretty close decisions to his credit um, the majority of which he won I guess uh, but you know that probably doesn't change if you go down to 185 so I think that there's probably some reason to, to be a little bit skeptical of, of, of future success however one thing that I didn't whiff on last week was when we were talking about this fight pre-fight I said you know if it turns out that Machida can stop people at 185 pounds using his power that might well cure a lot of what had ailed him back at 205. And, uh, you know, we, we maybe see a glimpse of that in this fight because he did pretty much kick right through Mark Munoz's defense and uh, just knock him out. That's true. And, you know, you did make a, a little bit of a prediction on that. I'm not so sure I'm willing to just say it happened this one time, therefore Leota Machida is going to become a powerhouse knockout artist at middleweight. Uh you know, the prospect of having him fight Vitor Belfort next, uh, assuming, you know, Vitor Belfort's still doing his Vitor Belfort thing, uh, that interests me. I, I would watch that fight. Also, Gegard Mousasi, uh, sweet sassy Mousasi, uh, he's talking about how he would like to fight against uh, Machida. I'd also watch that one. So there do seem to be some more prospects for him at middleweight. One of the things, that though, that uh, I thought was interesting to note about this fight and that I discussed a little bit with a friend of the podcast, uh, Danny Boyd Downs, who we've hired on at MMA Junkie as a, as a contributor and a, a feature that we do together, is we heard a lot about how Machida and Munoz were buddies, right? And how 
you know, the training partners were training really trained together really recently, right up until Machida got the offer to step in for the injured Michael Bisping. And how afterwards, you know, as John Anik said, they both just seemed glad it was over. It seemed like neither one of them really wanted to, to do this fight. Does that make you feel any kind of particular way when you know that these guys would rather not do this fight at all and are just kind of pressed into combat against one another? God, I'm not crazy about that. Yeah, I don't feel that weird about it. Uh, I mean, we we talk a lot about how this sport is different than than other sports because you actually are, you know, fighting uh, the other guy. So I, I suppose it's a little bit weird to go in there w- with with you know against your friend. I suspect that in secret, there's probably a lot more at stake emotionally uh, in a, in a fight like that for for both competitors. You know. Uh, especially guys who have trained a lot together and, and may or may not have preconceived notions about what's going to happen in the fight. Uh, when they get there, uh, the, uh, you know, if, if, you know, in a, in a fight where a guy gets knocked out like this one, like Munoz did, I have a feeling, you know, the guy who did the knockout, Leota Machida might walk away with a little bit more of the knockout ease soul. Uh, because, you know, they can go to dinner afterwards and take smiling pictures of each other, but, they're both still thinking about it. Yeah, well, they're and both also, still thinking about it. But let me just—I'll just finish my thought by saying, end of the day, I do think they're professional athletes, uh, and so you kind of got to do it. It's the fight game, man. Yeah, I guess you do. Uh, it just makes me think about—I uh, remember Munoz talking about after getting knocked out by Chris Weedman, and uh, then you know, suffering, going through injuries, and, and having his return to, to action knocked back, and how the just spiral of depression. Uh, that put him into. And, you know, you, if the guy's your friend, you don't want him to go through that at all. Uh, you definitely don't want him to go through that as a result of something you physically did to him, which then advanced your career. Like, I could see how you might feel weird about that. I mean, you're right. And as they said several times before the fight, hey, we're professionals, we'll get through it. Uh, and I'm not saying I think that you got to hamstring the matchmakers by telling them to only match up dudes who hate each other and want to tear one another's hearts out. Uh, but, at the same time, I guess I'd just rather not think that the the guys are being forced into fights that they'd rather not do. I mean, and it seems like at times the UFC, especially Dana White, has taken that approach where right. the more you say, I won't fight that guy, the more it becomes like imperative for him to make you fight that guy. Yeah. And this one was a little bit of a scramble, too. Yeah. You know, they had to make it uh, due to injury. Uh, you'd like to think that when you're when you're at the highest level, there would be other a lot more other options, especially when you're you know, when you don't have to to uh, kind of scramble to put together a last minute matchup because of an injury. You, you would hope that UFC matchmakers would have more options that they wouldn't have to have friends fight each other. Uh, but I don't have a problem with it in a in a you know, in a limited basis. I mean, because you're a heartless son of a bitch. Because I guess because I'm a heartless son of a bitch, and also because uh, you know, there are times when you just kind of got to do it, man. Like if uh, I guess they have already said that they won't fight, but but let's say uh, hypothetically, Machida beats Belfort if they do do that fight, and uh, uh, Anderson Silva gets his title back against Chris Weidman. Um, but, uh, Silva versus Machida would be your obvious go-to fight there. We'd have to see. Uh, but they're buds. We'd have to see if they were willing to cross that bridge, I guess, at that point. Yeah, and hey, who knows? Maybe now, Leoto Machida has a taste for the blood of his friends. <laughs> so you think it's sort of like a vampire thing. Maybe he liked it more than he thought he would. Uh, like, who knows? Like he's got the ravenous hunger 
for for human flesh. Yeah. Preferably friend of flesh. Now, after this, maybe you'll be sitting around at Machida's house watching TV with him, and you look over there and notice that he's just staring at you, and you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Leota has a taste for friend blood now. <laughs> I agree with you, though. I, I feel like the... Uh, the Belfort Machida potential matchup is an exciting one and, and one that I would definitely like to watch. Kind of a weird one, though, uh, f- for the UFC, really, because if uh, you got to think if Belfort wins that, if he if he like knocks Machida out with some crazy spinning shit like he did to Luke Rockhold, it would be pretty hard to look anybody in the eye and say he's not the number one contender at middleweight. And then that, of course, sets up a weird situation yeah. where then you might have a champion that everyone knows is jacked up on TRT, which I don't think is the direction you want to go. That one, that's the situation I think one way or another is coming to a head soon because you can't just, you can only play this game for so long where you keep Belfort in Brazil where he can do his TRT thing and they don't even mention his past with steroids and it's cool and you can tell other people in the States, no, we only have him down there because our Brazilian TV partner Globo wants him down there. Uh, so shut the fuck up and let us run our business, the, the old Dana White go-to. Uh, you can only do that for so long. If he keeps beating people, it's going to be hard to, to – and if, regardless if it's Machida or not, if he keeps winning fights, man, it's going to get harder and harder to, to – get us to believe that uh, you're keeping him away from the title for any other reason, you know? Yeah. So I guess maybe sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't approach with a potential Leoto Machida Vitor Belfort fight because, you know, if 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 Silva reclaims his title and and Machida wins, well then you got a situation where your one of your biggest draws might just retire rather than fight his friend. Uh and if Belfort wins, then you've kind of set up this that weird situation where the 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 TRT issue would would have to either be dealt with or just forever ignored. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, I mean, one way or another, some some situations are, are going to have to bubble over here, i got to think. Well, Ben, let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, this week, I'm just saying we saw, even prior to his weird no contest against Ross Pearson at Ultimate Fight Night 30, uh, Melvin Gallard said some kind of weird stuff to... Uh, MMA junkies Mike Bond and uh, Matt Erickson. Uh, at least they got a, a dual byline there. Uh, when they asked him what he thought about the Gilbert Melendez-Diego Sanchez fight, and he said, I would have dropped either one of them. I used to drop Diego Sanchez in practice all the time. When I hit people, I hurt people. That's just what I do. Now, later, when Diego Sanchez fired back on Twitter to say he thought Melvin was full of shit, uh, Melvin huh. responded by saying his words had been twisted. Oh, no. Uh I mean, I don't know, man. You read that quote, it's hard to see how those words get twisted or taken out of context in any way. But, uh, you know, when we found out, I think, earlier this year that maybe Melvin wasn't 100% welcome back at uh, Greg Jackson's MMA camp after he left the Black Zillions, and he eventually, I believe, landed at Grudge uh, up in Colorado. And then left over money issues, I believe. Uh, we, you kind of get an idea why maybe he wasn't welcome back, right? If he's going to say stuff like this. Just saying. Or maybe because he's dropping everybody in training. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying either one of them, those could make you a uh, unwelcome training partner. So I could see it either way. Uh, Chad, this week, I'm just saying, as I know you were all over the this uh, weekend's World Series of Fighting event. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're a big WSOF guy. I liked the uh, fight where the uh, one guy beat, beat that other guy. Yeah. The big, the big fight they had okay, over there. Okay, so you saw it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm just saying that 
after uh, in a June event, uh, John Fitch was choked unconscious by the lesser known uh, in MMA circles, Josh Berkman. Josh Berkman then fought for the World Series of Fighting Welterweight Championship and was himself choked unconscious by Ooh. the lesser known Steve Carl. Wow. Okay. I'm just saying if you're Steve Carl right now. And the World Series of Fighting, people are trying to match you up against some guy who doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Man, don't take that fight because the trends suggest that you will be choked unconscious. Just what happens. Just saying. Just saying. Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week, oddly enough, to probably talk a bunch more about Bellator. Uh, so tune in for that. Uh, but as for right now, though, we're done. We're through. We are out. You know what, Chad? I've been meaning to talk to you about this for a while. I'm sick of you coming on here and twisting my words. Just taking you out of context. And or by which I mean using things I have said appropriately against me. Right. I mean, it's fine when I say them, but then when you say that I said them and it gets me in trouble, that's fine.